Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Continue with our reading from Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We're in the 73rd Anacheda. It's given a title, The Universe is Not Different from Paramatma. You notice in this and the following few Anachetas, see Jiva Goswami's kind of jump back and forth between Paramatma is and Paramatma isn't the universe so that we can get an understanding of exactly what is the proper conceptual orientation to have in relation to Paramatma and understand the inconceivable nature of a Chinta Beta Beta Tattva as much as we can wrap our intellect around the fact that the Lord is permeates everything but he's also separate from everything. He has his own swarup. So the Paramatma feature of the Supreme is unique in that regard in that it appears to have Upadis, the Upadis of, uh, of its Shaktis, in other words, some very close relationship with its Shaktis, the Tatasta Shakti, the Jiva Shakti, or, uh, ourselves, and all the other living entities within the universe and universes, and the Bahiranga Shakti, which is in two special effects. It has the actual constituent part. It also has a an activation part. But understanding that Bahiranga Shakti is not conscious. So even that part of the Bahiranga Shakti, which is the instrumental part, is not consciously instrumental. So the nomenclature instrumental is very appropriate. You may have an instrument, no matter what it would be, but unless someone picks up and plays it, it's not going to make any sound. So similarly, when we look to the different ways Srila Jiva Goswami is related to us, the uh, Namita uh, aspect of the Baharanga Shakti, the Maya Shakti. Um, and he's referred to different, different things that are instrumental. First and foremost, of course, is time. Uh, time actually, well, without it, there's no animation, there's no, no movement, so... Time, which is definitely a, a specific energy of Paramatma himself, and Swabhava, it's, it's been referred to in different karma. Karma, what is our karma? Uh, what is our nature? What constitutes our nature? But it's a nature, when we speak of it in that context, we're speaking about a nature in, in relationship to the external energy, which generally doesn't have any relationship with our nature in regards to our true self. So it's a nature that we adopt or adopts us in some, in, depends who's doing the adopting. And the, the agent of adoption is, is, is the agency of adoption is, is pretty much dependent on the degree to which we're influenced by the vidya or the avidya potencies of paramatma. So if if there's little uh, little little knowledge, then what happens if there's little knowledge is the environment overwhelms us. So we see that we're overwhelmed in relationship to 
the material nature if we're in the mode of ignorance. Like there's not a lot of freedom, even if we look to the to the other species, lower species of life, bodies that are inhabited by jivas that haven't come up to the platform of of uh, of the human form of life. So, thank you. So therefore, we say they're more under the mode of ignorance. Now we look and we look to to ignorance and to knowledge, and we see that it's 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 not black and white. It's a gray scale, and running through the gray scale are the modes of material nature: goodness, passion, and ignorance. So, um, just to have that that understanding of of the material nature and our involvement in it and to see it in proper perspective and to see um, specifically as Jiva Goswami is pointing out here. Now, remember, this is in the third section of the Paramatma Sandarbha. It's dealing with the Bahiranga Shakti. But really, if we look to this third part, it's primarily dealing with the Bahiranga Shakti as its as the effective agent through which both Paramatma himself and the Jiva Shakti engages in material action. So Bahiranga Shakti in this context is dealing primarily with How's the Vaharanga Shakti influencing us? Now, in the last discussion, it was a very interesting discussion because we're talk- we talked about the fact of the liberation or the annihilation of the Vaharanga Shakti. And that, well, the absolute Narodha the absolute annihilation of the Baharanga Shakti is when the Jiva gives it up entirely. We call that moksha. We call that liberation. And Jiva used that as a, as a uh, as uh, evidence to the fact that, well, living entities do become liberated, and the world can, goes on. <laughs> so if you're thinking that the world is simply uh, coming about as a imposition on Brahman of your mental power to imagine a world, then it doesn't it, your idea of the Vartavad that the world is just an illusion that's coming about by a mental construct or you know, a Jeeva's pointed it out in so many different ways, a mental construct. He's pointed out that in the material world, you know, the Vavartavads, the Advaitavads, those that that accept that it, the ultimate understanding of the supreme absolute truth as Brahman, that 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 manifestation of the supreme that has no characteristics whatsoever, then They, that conception 
can only give, um, what do you want to say, give any credibility to the fact that there is a material existence by saying that, well, it's just an illusion because their definition of Brahman is very restrictive. Now, if we can see that from, from, from the perspective, the Gaudiya perspective, yeah, we also accept that that conception of the supreme absolute truth, Brahmati, is a very limited conception. You're saying that the, that the supreme absolute truth, the supreme energetic source, well, it can't even be an energetic source because a, a source would mean that there was an effect. So if you have cause and effect, well, in Brahman realization, in the conception of, of Sankaracharya, Brahman can have no effect because Brahman is changeless. So how can there be a world to begin with? So there isn't. It's all an illusion. Vartavad. So this whole section, Jiva Goswami has been going, going back and forth. And, okay, let's look at this Vartavad and let's look at, at Parinama Shakta Vada. That the Shakti, the Shakti of the Supreme can be modified and can manifest a universe. So these Anachetas are going to go back and forth a little bit, these next few Anachetas, um, with different ideas in regards to um, the proper understanding of Parinamavad and the improper understanding of Vivartavad. And they're mostly uh, uh, presented uh, utilizing the, the 12th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, which we also went over and was used as a primary evidence in the last Anucheta. So we'll read a little here. The universe is not different from Paramatma. Sri Sukha himself next clarifies, by way of an example, how even a single object can be both the support and the supported through internal divisions. Then he quotes, Jiva quotes a verse from the 12th canto, 4th chapter, and I'm going to read Vishwanath's uh, translation of the verse. A lamp, the eye that views by the light of that lamp, and the visible form that is viewed are non-different from the element light. In the same way, Intelligence, the senses, and sense perceptions have no existence separate from the supreme reality, although that absolute truth remains totally distinct from them. So by way of analogy, Jeeva is saying, by way of analogy, this verse is pointing out that you can have a, a source, and the source can't be seen as separate from the results of that source. So if we have a fire, and the fire gives us heat and light, uh, we shouldn't see that as separate. Actually, the, what's m more to the point of the analogy is the fact that um, 
the element fire itself, in order to be experienced by the jiva, it all its all the constituents have to be seen as part of fire. So I'll read what jiva says here in, in looking at this anocheta. The flame, the eye, and form or color are all parts of the great element of fire or light, jyoti. So they are not different from it. In the same way, the intellect, etc., are not separate from the truth or paramatma. Yet, just as the great element fire is not implicated by any defects in the flame, etc., in the same way, Paramatma is not affected by the defects of the intellect and so on. And just as the element fire is distinct from the flame, in the same way, Paramatma is anyatama, or completely different from the universe. Uh, the commentary concludes with this statement. Similarly, the material elements are not different from Paramatma, their source. Yet Paramatma is distinct from them and is not implicated in their defects, limitations, or modifications. Just as the universal elemental fire is not itself influenced by any changes in the flame, the eye, or its form. So the universe is not different from Paramatma. goes on to the next Anucheta. And now we see some distinction between the jiva, ourselves, and our perceptions in the world. The jiva is distinct from the three states of buddhi. Now all these Anuchetas are going to work up to a conclusion, so we'll just go through them step by step. But their jiva is taking us inner direction to, to come to a to a more comprehensive understanding. So now we're talking about the jiva. So we've been talking about Paramatma in the last Anucheta. Paramatma being the substratum of of whatever it is is experienced in the material world and that The intellect, the percept perceptibility of the jiva, what is it? Um, the intellect, the senses, and their objects are not distinct from reality. They are a real, a real thing. So they are from Satkaryavad. They are a real effect of a real Paramatma. We can't say that they're not real. Just as we can't say that the eye and the flame and the sense of sight are distinct from the fire element itself. So let's look at the intellect of the jiva. And it's explained that this Adocheta, jiva himself says, this he does, in talking of Sukadev relating this 
uh, knowledge to Maharaj Pariksit. He says in the Anucheta here, that this he does, Sukadev does, in order to induce the jiva to give up its identification with the intellect and so on. So this Anucheta is there with that objective to create detachment in us from from what we take as so greatly important <laughs> you know we give a we give a great we put a lot of stock in the fact that you know we can we perceive the world and 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 we understand what we're perceiving we understand you know what's going on so we need to look at this anacheta in that light. Well, really, really, let's look at what. Let's look a little deeper at that idea. So we start out by looking at our different states of consciousness. So we have three states of consciousness, three experiences of our existence on a daily basis. There's actually four, but we don't get to the fourth very often. In fact, it's very rare. But let's go through the Anacheda. In this way, Sukadev refers to the intellect and so on as products of the inherent potency of Paramatma. So the intellect is, is it's a product of the potency. It's, it's not really, in other words, without Paramatma, it's not going to work. He's the substratum, you could say. He's the, you know, he's the the underlying cause of our intelligence. In spite of this, however, he describes them as flawed, as understood from the allusion to their impurity. This is due to the fact that Paramatma is completely different. Anyatama from them, since they are composed of the extrinsic Bahiranga potency, whereas he is qualified by the intrinsic Antaranga and intermediary Tatasta potencies as well. So, this ability to intellectualize, to perceive, to, to understand the environment. This is this is coming about because of Paramatma. But you can't really just as there's no there may be a defect in in what is, is the outcome of a fire. You may not see the fire's light perfectly because you have imperfect senses. You can't blame that on the fire. It's not the fire's fault that you can't see properly. It's not the fire's fault that you have a body that just won't get warm. You know, it, it's not the fire's fault. The fire still has, you can't take any way, anything away from the fire just because it doesn't work the way you want it to. So, Similarly, the intellect, of course, the basis of intellect is is Paramatma. Of course, he's the basis of everything in material existence. But you can't 
attribute the defects of material intellect on Paramatma. Because Paramatma is entirely different. He's entirely one and entirely different. The Chinta Beta Beta Tattva. He is the Jivatma and he is not the Jivatma. He is his extrinsic Bahiranga Shakti, but he's not. It's all coming on him. It's all resting on him. Having asserted these points, Sukha next describes the pure Jiva's act of superimposition of its own identity, along with its cause, onto the three states of intellect, namely wakefulness, dreaming, and deep sleep. This this he does in order to induce the jiva to give up its identification with the intellect and so on. So Sukadev has a point. Now jiva uses a verse again from the 12th canto. Wakefulness, dreaming, and sleep are said to be the three states of the intellect, buddhi. This manifoldness projected onto the indwelling self is nothing but illusion, O king. Nothing but an illusion. What you're projecting onto your intellect during these three states of intellectual awareness. We have our intellectual awareness in the waking state, which is primarily molded by what? False egos there in all states, but primarily in the waking state, the environment influences our, our, our waking state. So we see something, we like it, we dislike it, we make some assumption based on it. So during the waking state, the sense, our sense perception is the primarily, primary influence of our intellect. Now, we can purify our intellectual viewpoint uh, by seeing primarily things through the mode of goodness, or we can even work to spiritualize our intellect by seeing everything as we've heard things are from the spiritual master, from the scripture. You're not your body. You know, uh, all living entities are equal. Um, you know, the good qualities, truthfulness, cleanliness, austerity, mercy, these things, if we act and and think about those in a spiritual way, then that's that's giving us a different intellectual perspective. So that intellectual perspective for the sadhaka is, is different involvement of the senses in the service of the supreme, in the service of the guru. So the more we do that, the more the senses, well, as they become spiritualized. So in wakefulness, not to get sidetracked into devotional, although 
<laughs> trying to get sidetracked into devotional overall, but we're, we're here talking logically about our uh, situation of the jiva within material nature. So I'm not going to go far down that road. I just, I just want to say, basically, when we're awake, what influences our experiences of the world? Our intellect is, is, is basically, it's basically influenced by what we hear, what we see, what we smell, what we taste, what we feel. So our knowledge acquiring senses is, uh, forms a foundation and, you know, different, we could get into a whole explanation, some scars coming from past lives, and the environment around us, the sangha, the company we keep. So many things are affected, but that's wakefulness. So these states, the state vrittis, the states, the states of the intellect are called vrittis. So the states of the, of the, vritt, the vrittis of the intellect are wakefulness, sleeping, and the deep sleep. So, in the wakeful state, we have a little control of the situation. We can kind of mold. In fact, yogis spend lifetimes trying to trying to keep the intellect, control the mind and senses, and and keep the the intellect fixed on the self. The bhakta does the same thing, but. He has a different approach. His approach is not one of trying to fight the senses. His approach is rather a proper utilization of the senses. What is it? Bhakti's user friendly. <laughs> it's not 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 meant to be a, a struggle for existence. The yogis, yeah. Well, Kumbh Mela is coming up. If you want, you can go and observe them, see their demeanor, see their nature. When the aesthetics come down from the mountains, you can see how they how they carry themselves and how they act. Generally, austerities makes the heart hard, and their hearts you can kind of see because you know. A lot of us wear our hearts on our sleeves, so people can see what our nature is. Hard to hide. So, intellect, three states, wakefulness, dreaming. We don't have a lot of control over the dreaming part. Sometimes the dreams are, I mean, I don't know what the big deal is with dreams. I've never had dreams that really even fit together myself. You know, it's, once in a while, but generally my dreams are just a hodgepodge if I have any at all. And and then we have deep sleep. Deep sleep, well, that's, well, we're just completely unconscious. It's the closest we're going to get to samadhi if we're not actually striving for samadhi as deep sleep. So the common man, he gets to experience samadhi daily. He falls into deep sleep. If he doesn't, he goes mad. So, you know, they have sleep deprivation. They can actually make you go crazy. So we need deep sleep. Every every living entity needs to turn off to the outside world and go inward 
it's a built-in mechanism. It's interesting. It's built into our daily routine. There has to be this, what do they call it, REM. All this is the manifoldness called visva, tejasa, and prajna, projected onto the indwelling self. Pratyaga atma, the pure jiva. During our awaking state, what's doing the projecting? The environment, past impressions. During our sleepful sleeping state, what's doing the projecting? All kinds of things, but basically impressions, either from current or past life, or some way we're putting it together, our desires and influences. Who knows what we, what's mixed in that uh, kitri of, of, of sleepfulness. And then deep sleep, the projection is, of course, of nothingness. If you think about it in that way, if you think about that, that's really the point that Sukadev Goswami is trying to make here to Maharaj Parikshit, is all of, all of your experience, your wakefulness, your dreaming, your deep sleep, it has nothing to do with your essence. It's truly a projection. It's a, it's a, it's a vritti of consciousness. It's a vritti of your intellect. It's, it's, it's coming about, but it's not the self proper. It's not your pure essence or the pure jiva. This is nothing but maya. All these states are nothing but maya. Meaning that it is the result of the superimposition, ajyasa, caused by maya. It's an imposition on ourself. It's a little different for the bhakti, but we're not talking about bhakti in general and how we can change our intellect and bring spiritual consciousness and influence into our into our existence, even though we're still in a material situation. That's a whole other science. If you think of it, it's a great science. It's a tremendous science because it's the only it's the only science that's a positive, user friendly process. The others are you have to turn this off. If you want to attain a state of realization, all other spiritual disciplines excepting bhakti require Turning that off. The yogis, the jnanis, they have to turn, they, their, their success, the success of those disciplines requires turning off day-to-day existence. And it takes years of discipline and practice to bring the mind under that much control, to, to, to take on the austerities, to turn off the mind and senses. It's not an easy thing. It's not a possible thing, quite frankly, in Kali Yuga, excepting some rare, rare instances. It's, 
it is not something that can be accomplished in this age of man. You don't live long enough to do it. That's the problem. This kind of a discipline, accepting the the accepting the the user friendly nature of bhakti, this kind of discipline takes a long time, lifetimes you could say, or at least longer than a hundred years. You're just scraping the surface of self control within a hundred years. I mean. All right, so there's a lot in this commentary. I've highlighted a few things. So these three nomenclatures are applied here. These three nomenclatures, uh, visva, tejasa, and prajna, uh, they're applied to the wakefulness, the dreaming, and the deep sleep. read a little of the commentary. The three states of booty, of the intellect, are wakefulness, dreaming, and deep sleep. He who experiences these three states and presides over them is the individual self. That's in the Bhagavatam 7.7.25. These three states of booty are three upadis of the pure self. Again, an upadi. Upadi is... It's not really related. It's something that can appear to have an effect. If you put a crystal, clear crystal, next to a red gemstone, the crystal will appear red, but it's not red. But in proximity, it's going to appear to be red. It's going to take on the characteristics of redness. For all intents and purposes, you can say, Wow, I now have a red crystal. We used to have little crystals that we sold and there would be a light box underneath, right? And you could change the color of the crystal or you, it, could, it could look like it was changing. So the lights would change and the crystals, oh, it's a blue, oh, it's a red crystal. Wow, it's such a nice crystal. I'll take the crystal. I took it home and didn't do anything. Like, oh, we had to buy the base too. Okay, let me have the base. The different colors are affecting. It's an apati. It's it's a, it's an imposition from outside, but the crystal itself is remaining pure. These states of awareness, based on the material environment, are their impositions on the true self. Interesting thing about uh, the sleeping state, tejasa, when the jiva identifies with the subtle body, so we sleep in the subtle body. So when the when the jiva identifies with the subtle body is called tejasa, either because the subtle body is made of of the tejasa fire element, or because it is a witness to dreams which are also said to be a product of tejas. When the jiva identifies with a vidya, it is called prajna, because in this state it perceives nothing and remains as pure consciousness. D, the intellect, and its three states are products of maya. The pure self is independent of them. And then um, in the commentary, a verse is brought out from the uh, seventh uh, canto. Sri Sutta Goswami 
while conducting his instruction to Sonika at the end of the Bhagavatam, states that it is the Bhagavad, it is Bhagavan alone who is to be deliberated upon through the four states of Visva, Tejasa, Prajna, and Turiya. And there's a nice verse to that effect in the Bhagavatam, uh, which reads as follows. One can conceive of the Supreme Lord in terms of awakened consciousness, dreaming, deep sleep, and spiritual consciousness by knowledge gained through external objects, the senses, and the mind. Vishwanath's commentary is good in this regard. This explains the vibhutis of the Chatur Vyuha, the powers, the, the energies of the Chatur Vyuha, this idea. So now we're talking about Chatur Vyuha in relationship with the heart. So now we see another, another um, utilization or another understanding of the Chatur Vyuha's influence on the Jivatma. The Tatasta Shakti, I mean, yeah, Tatasta Shakti. The explanation, this explains the vibhutis, the potencies of the Chatur Vyuha. The senses and mind are endowed with impressions. I slept happily. It was not even aware of happiness. I was not even aware of happiness. In this example, even a deep, in deep sleep, there is ignorance and knowledge caused by impressions of the mind and senses. By knowledge through the senses, mind and objects. In the states of waking, sleeping, deep sleep, and the fourth state, the Lord is remembered. The four states are vibhutis of the Chaturvyuha. Vasudev represents the waking state. Sankarshan represents dreaming. Prajumna represents deep sleep. Aniruddha represents the fourth state of knowledge, spiritual, spiritual awakening. Uh, that those those periods of of your involvement in Krishna consciousness, where there is some relish for for transcendental involvement, like in the holy name, or your, you know, we have we have as bhaktas even in the preliminary stages experiences of this fourth state of consciousness. And you know it's not part of your day-to-day experience of the world. It's not part of your being. It's not a dream. It's something more. So even preliminary, at the Kanista stage of bhakti, we get some, some little taste of the sweetness of the Supreme, the sweetness of His holy name, the, the you know the sweetness of the deity form uh, we read shastra and we're we're affected in a way that's it's not just we realize this is not I'm just, this is not just intellectualized knowledge we have here i've read this a couple times and more things are coming where are these things coming generally uh, just to read or to study there's no there's no further revelation coming from the source of knowledge as there is in scripture Scripture is as, well, it has all the potencies of the Supreme. It is itself a babuti. So this, this fourth state is represented by Aniruddha. So you can see the chapter of Yuha in these four states of consciousness. 
the sages, the sadhus, bring out the commentaries, they bring out an awareness of the Lord's Chaturvyuha influence within material nature. Chaturvyuha is there in the mind, intelligence, false ego, chitta, which can be seen as as what constitutes the heart, these four things together. And we can tie those four things, mind, intelligence, false ego, and the heartfulness that we have is is a combination of those. And that they're influenced prim, you know, primarily even in, in the material realm. And similarly, when we look to the different states of consciousness, we also see these states of consciousness are, are potencies of these different aspects of the Supreme. Vasudev, Sangrachan, Pradyumna, Nani Ruda. I'll read the way the uh, commentary of Vishwanath is expanded. Srita Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur here also comments that this verse describes the vibhutis of the four expanses, expansions, vyuha, of Bhagavan stated in the previous verse. He says that the word artha here means the sense objects perceived in the waking state. Indriya means the mind through which one dreams and ashra refers to the chitta. So yeah, there's, he's seeing here and bringing out the correlation such an Orion is as he sees Vishwanath presenting his commentary. Uh, Ashraya refers to the chitta, which carries the impressions from both the waking and dream state. So the chitta is often referred to as the unconscious mind. We're not aware of it, but we carry we carry impressions of of what we've experienced in the past. We carry impressions of what we experience in, in the present, and and we impressions of created by the desires in our mind and those affect our, our existence. So the word gyan here refers to the happiness in the form of I slept happily. And ignorance, so now he's, re, he's taking knowledge, uh, the ignorance in the form of I do not know anything and also self-consciousness. So, only Bhagavan is to be deliberated through the states of visva, etc., as described by the above-mentioned experiences. The four states, beginning with visva, are the vibhutis controlled by the four expansions, vyuha of Bhagavan, beginning with aniruddha. So we're seeing here a, a, a directive is being given for us that. Utilize your waking state, your dreaming state, your super resting state, and your spiritual state, all in turning your consciousness towards the Supreme. That's what these states of awareness are meant to be utilized for. Otherwise, they are simply maya. They're simply a false imposition on the self. So they can either be a false imposition or a real imposition. They can e either have a, a, a real effect on us, the pure jiva, for upliftment, or they can just be the normal 
states of consciousness that one experiences in material existence. And when it, when if they're seen in the light of what the way Vishwanath has presented his commentary, then that's going to lead to spiritual awareness. And they should be utilized that way. Otherwise, they're maya. They're an imposition on the true self. They're of no value. So that's two of a grouping of, of anachetas. We'll continue in the next class with a couple anachetas, the first one of which is Paramatma has no contact with the universe. So we're going a little bit back and forth. Is it, is it or isn't it? You know, Where is it? How is it? And how isn't it? And there's some cohesion here to the to the way uh, Paramatma's explained. Uh, remember, it's a chinta, beta beta tattva. A chinta is inconceivable. So Jiva's relaying to us the inconceivable, trying to allow us to wrap our intellect around the inconceivability of the way Paramatma is throughout his material manifestation, but also, in a sense, not affected. He is affected. And Jiva is going to take us to that conclusion at the end of this Sandarbha, Paramatma Sandarbha. He's going to tie it all together with his own revelation his revelation in regards to the to the underlying nature of why there is even a material manifestation. And then Paramatma's involvement makes perfect sense. Then the verses from the Gita, I am seated in everyone's heart. For me comes knowledge, remembrance, forgetfulness, sarvashis chaham, rinisani bestow. So there, Paramatma does have a lot of influence. He is there directly with us at every minute. He's controlling what we remember and what we forget. That's that's a lot. He's not the universe, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have a, an interest in it. Any questions? And that the Krishna says that everyone's following my path. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah, Yatamam Prabhajante, all of them as they surrender unto me, I reward accordingly. Yes, he's aware. So that means he is fully aware of everything. It's not that he's hands off, but he's he's both hands on and hands off depending on the Jiva's consciousness. The jivas turn towards him. If the, in all these states of of being, then then he's going to be aware of us. He's super aware of everyone, but he's more aware of his devotee because they're aware of him. So it's a natural reciprocation. We have that in our experience of life in general. Anything else? All right, thank you so much for your association.